0: Anderson Afternoons, the podcast. Hello and welcome to the podcast. Carolyn Klassen from Connexus Counseling on getting back to a regular routine after the holidays. I'll talk to Allison Shane from Starling Social about the Golden Globes getting political. Mo Sabrin, head of the Winnipeg Police Union, has some concerns about transit security. And Kevin Klein, counselor for Charleswood Tuxedo and Westwood on the idea of these amber lights in school zones. Good idea, but still nothing. Please rate the podcast. Please subscribe to the podcast. And now the podcast. I've been saying this now for a while, looking forward to a normal week after Christmas and New Year's smack dab in the middle of the past couple of weeks. has thrown me off, and talking to mothers uh, around here and parents around here, it's even worse for them getting back into a regular routine. So I thought we'd talk about it with our normal Thursday guest, Carolyn Klassen from Conexus Counseling, and as um, I think it's Corey points out, I'm going to text here at 204-780-6868. Hal, you bringing Carolyn on on Monday instead of Thursday is breaking the routine, and you're talking about routine. Aha! Have a great week. Corey is right, Carolyn. What am I doing?
1: That's so ironic, isn't it? (laughs) It is. Even on a Monday.
0: Yes. Great to talk to you, too. So um, what do we do to get back into a, a regular routine? Are you thrown off as well?
1: Oh, you know what? I am thrown off, but I actually have been looking for, I love the lack of routine for a couple of weeks, but by the end of it, it starts to get old and I'm just, I've had a number of people say, aren't you just ready to get back to that routine and that structure and that sort of, we as human beings actually are wired for routine. And so in a couple of days, it's going to feel really good that we're back into routine, but it's the the adjustment from the routine of no routine to the routine of routine.
0: Whatever you just said, yes. Um, what, what, Why do we like routine so much?
1: Well, as human beings, our brains, we just, when, we, when life is predictable and we know what's going to happen, we know that, um, often now our, our kids are, it's almost like adjusting to a time change, right, where they've been going to bed later and getting up later. And that's a wonderful thing to do. But our, we like the idea of knowing what's going to happen next. And kids actually thrive on their routine of knowing what what happens during what days of the week and what times of day. And so it's actually really good for us to be in the routine. it's 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 a form of mental health, really, uh, but it is an adjustment as we make that transition to this regular routine that is somewhat more structured than what we had over the last couple of weeks.
0: I don't know how people do it when they've got shift work, you know, and it's different all the time. I guess some people like that, but yeah, I'm a a routine kind of guy. Let's keep it, uh, let me figure it out, and then let's just keep doing that.
1: Right. But I think what we have to recognize is that routines in January and February are hard, uh, Mother Nature has been good to us today with the uh, warm temperatures, but this is the time of year when mothers are resting their kids into snow pants and snow suits and mittens and hats and, you know, the buckles on the car seats are all, everything's just more complicated in when it's cold outside and it's there's a lot of darkness and, you know, the snow makes it, everything is just more difficult during this time of routine. And so I think it's important to extend grace to ourselves and to our kids as we're sort of struggling back into this routine to say this isn't easy Um, Not everybody's going to have a smile on their face as they drag themselves out of bed this morning. And I think if we reduce the expectations of we're going to get back to the routine, but we may not like it, it may not be easy, we're going to maybe grumble as we do it, and grumbling can be a part of it for the first couple of days. We're not going to be expecting to have smiles and smooth routines. Things are going to be off base, we might be late a couple of minutes because we've forgotten about some important parts and how long things take. I think it's just really important to find ways to extend grace to yourself as a parent and then also to the kids as we're figuring this all out again.
0: You say that a lot when we talk about stuff like this, things that throw us off, right? You say, give yourself a break. You don't have to, yeah, it's it's not the normal routine and it's going to take you a while to get back at it, but as you say, give yourself some grace.
1: Right, and I, because I think often when we don't extend grace, now we not only find it hard, but then we beat ourselves up for finding it hard, and then it's even harder than it needs to be. If we can kind of roll with it and say, yeah, first morning we kind of goofed a bit, and we're a couple minutes late, we'll have to remember to do this tomorrow. Really, you know, most of this getting back into routine, if you make some mistakes here, there really are no lasting effects, and so why would we act like there are?
0: And have you got any advice? Uh, just do that. Just give yourself a break. Don't get too worked up about it. Or, or any advice? Uh, are there other things we can do to make life seem more routine uh, to kind of trick our mind into it, or, or not?
1: Well, I don't know about tricking our mind. I think if we just give ourselves permission to say it's probably going to take a week or two for us to get back into it, mm-hmm. and um, because it's not all smooth at the right, you know, right at the beginning here, that's not a problem. Um, and this is hard. And I think often we can tell our kids this is hard, but we can do hard things. Um, It doesn't have to be easy in order to be able to do it. We can find it hard, and we can still find a way to get it done. And that's a part of becoming an adult is to learn to do hard things, right? That's a really important skill that we need to develop as moving from children towards adults, and so we can let our kids know that this getting back into routine is one more way that they're learning to grow up just a little bit is to learn to do a hard thing.
0: Carolyn, thanks a lot for doing this, and we will get back into our routine on Thursday <laughs> afternoon right after the 2.30 news.
1: It was great, as always. Thanks.
0: Thanks a lot. Carolyn Klassen from Connexus Counseling. You can find her at the website, connexiscounseling.ca.
1: We need to act based on science. Move our global workforce to renewable energy and respect our planet for the unique and amazing place it is.
2: Thank God, or whomever you pray to, that we live in a country founded on the principle that I am free to live by my faith and you are free to live by
1: yours. I beg of us all to give them a better world. For our kids and their kids, we have to vote in 2020 and we have to get beg and plead for everyone we know to vote. Sometimes we have to take that responsibility
3: on ourselves and make changes and sacrifices in our own lives.
0: Celebrities getting political at the Golden Globe Awards last night. Allison Shane, the owner of Starling Social, joins us now to talk about it. Happy New Year, Allison. Thank you for doing this. So, um, big debate in the newsroom around here. Some people think the stars, when they get on stage to accept their award, should thank their agent and then get the hell off. Others say it's okay that they climb up on a soapbox. They have a lot of people, a lot of fans. It's their opportunity to, you know, make a statement on something that's important to them. Well, where do you come down on this?
4: Well, me personally, I feel like if you have a soapbox, you have a responsibility to use it. Um, Now, to that point, I mean, I believe it was Joaquin Phoenix. Um, I didn't watch the Golden Globes, but I followed along on Twitter. So technically, I watched, I think. Um, (laughs) Right. You know, as as we do in the year 2020. Sure, yeah. Um, But yeah, so I mean, I believe it was Joaquin Phoenix who called out, you know, celebrities for flying there on their private jets and then admonishing people about climate change. So there is definitely a degree of hypocrisy, um, I think, present at the Golden Globes and sort of among that crowd of people. But these people obviously think that this is important and worth discussing at a global stage. And so, you know, I can't blame people for wanting to lend their voices to it, but I definitely think there is deserved criticism for those of them who don't exactly walk the walk, so to speak.
0: Yeah, right. They make a statement, but they don't, as you say, walk the walk. They don't follow through. They don't do what they want everybody else to do.
4: Exactly. A really good summary of basically how I kind of feel on this issue actually was said by Ricky Gervais. Um, in the opening monologue where he basically swore um, at everybody and told them that they should put their money where their mouth is. And I think that he, and in that monologue and that statement, really summarized a lot of kind of what people like us, everyday people, feel like. You know, it's great that you're going up and accepting, you know, accepting this award, yeah. and it's great that you are you know, lending your voice to this discussion, but what are you doing day-to-day when you're not on the stage? What are you doing to make a difference or to, you know, be an advocate outside of, you know, this one or two times a year where you sort of have this public or much more public, I suppose, soapbox.
0: Yeah, I I agree with you that the the comments made, whether it's on stage at the Golden Globes or on a social media account by a celebrity or wherever, you have to follow through with action. One that kind of stuck with me last night when I played some audio last half hour of it. Kate McKinnon got up to introduce Ellen DeGeneres and she talked about being a girl realizing, watching Ellen on TV talking about her sexuality, realized that she was gay like Ellen. And all these years later, it allowed her to realize, I I can do that. Whereas if she hadn't seen Ellen talk about being gay and and being successful in entertainment, she might never have thought she could do that. And that, I think, is, is an example of how a message from a celebrity on a stage can matter to the average person, usually young people, at home watching.
4: I completely agree. And to your point, celebrities have a responsibility to set an example. When you have a public platform and a soapbox, you should be using it to lift up other people and to empower those who might feel marginalized or oppressed in some capacity. I do think it's important that we draw a bit of a distinction between Ellen DeGeneres coming out as, you know, talking about her sexuality and climate change. Ellen can't help being who she is and is uh commendable that she took that step at that time but that's not something that is uh, you know associated with a dollar value it's not something that impacts her consumer habits she you know it, it it's coming out as being gay isn't mm. the same as saying save the climate while also flying around in a private jet if you right. catch my drift so yes they're they're co- they're similar but not a one-to-one comparison in my view just because one is a very personal experience and the other is more of a, like, do as I say, not as I do, it kind of seems like. Yeah. Mm -hmm.
0: And then what do you think, now let's take it to this level now. So that's celebrities, and you can agree or disagree and feel however you want about that. What responsibility Mm -hmm. do we have as individuals? Because we all have a voice now, right? We, we, Mm -hmm. you know, we had our circle of friends and family in the past that we could certainly speak to, but now we're all online. We're on social media. We're on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Now we all have a voice that in some cases, many others can hear. What's the responsibility Mm -hmm. we have as individuals to um, make sure that we get involved in important causes?
4: We have a similar responsibility to celebrities. We need to put our money where our mouth is and make changes in our lives that impact the environment in a positive way. So that could be uh, eliminating plastic bottles, that could be uh, only using reusable bags, that could be taking transit more often, you know, riding your bike instead of driving your car, making everyday decisions in your life and then sharing that process with your followers, with your community and talking about how it's impacting you. Like, for example, if you decide I'm only going to cycle to work this summer, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to imply that people should try and bike around at this time of year, but let's say for the sake of argument in the summertime, you bike to work for a couple of months. Talk about what that process is like for you. Did you Get more exercise? Did you find your mood improved? Did you get to work faster? Sharing the, the positives and the uh, personal components of the changes that we're making in our lives to try and combat climate change is the best way that we can influence other people around us to do the same.
0: Yeah. And then one other thing I wanted to bring up, you know, we've talked about the good and the bad of, uh, online and social media in the past, but you know, um, like we've got this paralyzed hockey player and the GoFundMe page is almost hit $170,000 in just a few days. You know, mm-hmm. there's an example of real good that we can do as an online community, right?
4: Absolutely. Um, the internet and social media are particularly good at these kinds of things. We can mobilize each other. Um, you may have noticed a recent spike in people asking for donations on Facebook in lieu of Facebook well wishes. So there are a lot of opportunities. When we, when we share our experiences through social media, we can influence other people much more readily. And to your point about like the GoFundMe, these are causes that connect with people. So finding a cause that connects with you and to sort of bring this full circle back to climate change, you know, decide like one thing you want to do to make a difference and, you know, go all out on that and ask people to help you.
0: Yeah. And then you've got the people that are, you know, out there trying to get people to give so they can pay their rent. Right. Which I'm Mm -hmm. not saying that people don't need help and, and times aren't tough, but then it also goes the other way. We see too much of it. Right.
4: I think the, the rent and people asking for things like that. I mean, that's a big question. That's somebody having to go to the internet to ask for help, to pay a medical bill or to pay their rent is indicative of a lot of larger problems in our society where people can't afford basic things anymore. Mm -hmm. And you know, that's a whole other topic we can probably get into another day. But for me, those are opportunities for us to remember that other people struggle. And it's important for us to have a sense of compassion with others. And I mean, Nobody wants to ask for money. You know, I I know some friends in the United States, um, without going into too much detail, she had a reproductive issue and had to go for a very expensive surgery, and now they're bankrupt. And so they started to go fund me in order to try and pay for all these medical bills. Nobody wants to have to do that. Nobody wants to go to their community and say, I need help. Please give money. Money is one of the most personal things that we have right like it's ours nobody wants to feel like they have to give money away or that it's being taken from them and so that the process of asking is something that i think is some, is very interesting that has emerged in our culture um but it does again provide those opportunities for reflection and for conversation about what our values are what society is doing to people and you know the best way to help a gofundme may not be the best way to help somebody in the long term, you know, giving a couple of bucks to help out a friend is fine. But, you know, putting your money where your mouth is and voting, the, you know, voting for someone who will help those people or, you know, going and advocating for a policy that might help others or the environment, you know, again, to sort of bring this back is the best thing that we can do. And even though there are some negative components to social media and sort of that like ask culture, um, if we take away the sort of money component and look at it as more of a conversation tool about the world that we live in and the things people are experiencing. I do think this provides more opportunities again for us to have compassion and to sort of live through our values or lead through our values, I should
0: say. Allison, always great chatting with you. What are you, I, 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 meant to, uh, I meant to check, what are you blogging about these days?
4: Oh my gosh. Uh, I'm about to get married, so I'm probably going to be publishing something about that very soon. Uh, I also published a list of all the books I read in 2019. So, If anybody has any good reads or anything that they recommend for this year, they can check out my personal blog. It's AllisonShane.com and uh, hit me up on Twitter and let me know what they're reading.
0: Allison, thanks a lot.
4: (laughs) Always happy to chat, Hal. Have a good one. And
0: congratulations getting married. Wow, big 2020 for you.
4: Oh, my gosh. I know, right? And uh, (laughs) thank you. I really appreciate it. We'll uh, we'll talk to you when I'm back, I'm sure.
0: All right. Excellent. Allison Shane, Starling Social. Uh, she's excellent, and uh, she blogs about local stuff a lot, but she, when it comes to social media and online stuff, she's great, and I love uh, having her on the show once in a while. Matt Oward, the chair of the Transit Advisory uh, Committee was on the show and uh, we talked with him about this request for proposals when it comes to transit security. And one of the options that may be looked at is giving transit inspectors the power to detain.
2: Not everyone's comfortable with that direction. And we we really want to be able to to really study this uh, in in detail to see what would be the appropriate delivery for winnipeg uh you know some of some have called for police force uh some you know some want to see an expansion of the inspector force uh and some uh you know some some people even don't think it's really that appropriate to have that sort of level of security on buses
0: matt allard from my show on friday at that time i on friday i had also emailed mo sabrin the president of the winnipeg police association wondering if there were any concerns there mo was away last week he got back and uh, emailed me this morning and joins us on the phone now mo Oh, good afternoon.
2: Good afternoon, Hal. Thank you for having me on once again.
0: Yeah, appreciate your time as always. Um, so, y- you do have concerns if that's uh, the road they go down.
2: Yes, um, you know we we have quite a few concerns actually. Um, if that is the route that uh, that the city of Winnipeg wants to go down, uh, we would say to the city that uh, you already have a police force that is uh, willing and able to do uh, a very similar role as a transit uh, police department. Um, There's many considerations that uh, when these incidents are occurring on a bus they can come become very violent very quickly and we saw that last year when three of their inspectors were quickly assaulted and our members had to respond to take care of the situation and i think in in those types of situations where somebody is being unruly on a bus or refusing to leave that 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 is a police matter just because of the fact that they can turn very violent in a very short uh, period of time Um, to provide um, the inspectors with peace officer status also um, makes me wonder how do you implement a complaint system against um, those transit inspectors, because the Law Enforcement Review Act uh, only deals with police officers. The Independent Investigation Unit only deals with police officers. So, um, I've said this many times in the past that policing is one of the most highly scrutinized professions on the planet. Now, if you give transit inspectors that, those powers, then how do you um, how do you manage the the powers that they're going to be given?
0: You said your members, Winnipeg police uh, members, are ready, willing, and able to do the job, but they're overwhelmed as well, aren't they, Mo? Mm -hmm.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, And that's why we've been saying that uh, by reducing compliment doesn't help anybody. Uh, We've had to respond to numerous calls that are occurring on transit buses and that is part of our duties and responsibilities. Uh, When you look at what you're actually paying a transit inspector, Um, over what you would be paying, say, a first-year constable when they first come out of class. They're either um, working at a desk, taking reports. This could be an alternate duty for them to get them on the street and to be patrolling uh, transit buses. We've had conversations with the Amalgamated Transit Unit many, many times in the past, and it's always been our recommendation that it should be police that are are on the bus and making sure that citizens are safe when they're uh, going to a Jets game, going to and from work, or using the uh, the transit for recreation purposes,
0: and this is an RFP, so we'll see where it goes. But this might be yet another reason to hire more officers, have more police officers.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And and I know it's just in the uh, the request for a promotion at this point, and I don't think there's a real need to um, to start worrying too much yet, because uh, the province is the ones that would have to give those uh, inspectors the designation as a peace officer. And we've seen in the past that the province has actually scaled back those powers, not only with uh, security uh, companies, but even with our own members, that um, our IDENT technicians have a peace officer status, um, our central processing unit officers have uh, peace officer status, but it's very limited powers. Excuse me.
0: Yeah, you mentioned uh, that you have several concerns. Have we covered the the two big ones there, or, or are there others?
2: Um, well, there are because uh, you know when you when you look at um, the, the transit inspectors, and I think what they probably haven't thought about is what happens. When uh, somebody alleges that uh, their conduct is inappropriate and somebody launches a civil suit, um, are those uh, transit inspectors now going to be identified, or could they possibly lose their house through a civil suit um, there there are many um, situations that I can think of that put the transit inspectors at risk. Um, Another thought comes to mind that when transit inspectors now um, are called to an unruly passenger, uh, who is going to be training them in in use of force? What types of tools are they going to have? Is it going to be pepper spray and a baton, a firearm? Um, And when those situations escalate, uh, are they going to be trained well enough to deal with it, to de-escalate the situation and ensure nobody else on that bus is injured? So there, there's a multitude of concerns that we have. And uh, uh, I truly believe that it should be police officers that are um, that are dealing with those situations because it is public safety. And we know that the citizens out there are are fearing for their safety because of the calls for service that we're seeing, the meth problem. We've unfortunately broken the homicide record from last year with 44 homicides. So you can understand that the citizens want to be safe, and it's the police officers that are there to ensure that they are safe.
0: Yeah. Well, you bring up some really good points there, and that's why I reached out to you last week, and I'm glad you got back to me today. Um, I, I do want to ask you another question I had on my mind, and we've discussed over the past uh, couple of weeks, I guess, uh, over the holidays – are you surprised that you know? I I, I here's my uh, the way I pitched it in the news meeting one morning. I, I go into a store and sometimes I'll see a security guard in in uniform or I'll see even a police officer in uniform, um, you know, working private duty. And well, I guess I I'm I'm I see that person and I feel better they're there, but it also makes me nervous that they're there. It, it, does it surprise you how far? Th- th- Things have gone that we just, we see, you know, here we are talking about better security on buses. At what point will enough be enough? Do you ever wonder, like, just how far we've come in the past even year or so? Mm
2: Mm-hmm. Uh, Absolutely, and and I I truly believe that this is a symptom of not having enough police officers on the street. Um, We are at a very low rate of incarceration right now, so that means that there's more bad people on the street that are continuing to uh, commit crimes. And uh, I'm hoping the courts are are going to look at all of these situations that are occurring, the assaults in the the liquor commissions, uh, the fact that... um, uh, thefts are are off the chart as well, and it 's the um, the proprietors of these businesses that are trying to protect the their property and and protect the public safety by having police officers there and When I first got on the job, I think the only special duty that was out there was uh, for bomber games, uh, jets games, high school graduations, believe it or not, um, so very low level type of Uh, attendances where you're really there just for a a visible presence and and now the call for special duty especially over the the holiday season was just unbelievable and the number of um, businesses that were requesting police officers to be there on their off hours it is extra duty and it's all voluntary but the city was also making money off of Officers being in those stores because they charge a higher rate than what their actual hour, hourly
0: salary is. Do your members you know, like? So. Do your members like doing that, or or is it a pain?
2: Um, I think the ones that are doing it, they they like it. It is totally voluntary. Um, especially coming off of the holiday season, there's a few extra bills that need to be paid, and uh, I, I truly believe that. Um, you know, the, other than the ones that have been assaulted, because we've seen a huge uh, rash of assault peace officers in the in the past uh, little while, um, it, it is still a dangerous position to be in. And while you're hoping that uh, you're there just to uh, make the citizens feel more at ease, there's always the possibility that somebody is going to come in and try and test the waters and and try and get away with something that they shouldn't be getting away with.
0: Mo, can you react to a text message I just got from a listener? I like to try and do this if it's a good question, I, I think it's a good one for you to react to. Person says here, uh, multiple other jurisdictions across Canada employ a tiered police model. It works, allows police to focus resources on core police work. Mr. Saburn is just using scare tactics.
2: Um, Well, a a tiered policing model, Um, what I can tell you is we have a tiered policing model here, the cadets. That was something that the Winnipeg Police Association introduced to the city of Winnipeg through negotiations in the past. And we were very unpopular with the rest of the police associations right across Canada because we were introducing a two-tier policing system. The cadets are there to be able to perform lower police duties where they're not placing themselves in danger or placing anybody else in danger. So the Winnipeg Police Association was instrumental in bringing the cadets, and we've given the the city the ability to hire up to 200 cadets to be able to um, do those lower duties that are all very important, but it allows police officers to be doing what they should be doing. And that's responding to dangerous calls and and getting to those break-and-enters that have just occurred. So... You know, we're we're not necessarily trying to scare anybody. It's just the reality that the calls for service are truly out of control. As of December, we were 10% higher in calls for service than we were the previous year. And this is a very dangerous trend. And if you're not keeping pace with police officers on the street to deal with these situations, unfortunately, somebody is going to get hurt because there's nobody available to respond to those high-priority calls.
0: Yeah, that was my reaction to the text message as well. I don't think, I don't think it's scare tactics. I think it's reality, if anything else. And, and you said up to 200 cadets can be hired by the city. What's the complement of cadets right now?
2: I believe they're at about, and without having the stats yep, right in front sure. of me, about 40 to 50 cadets at the moment.
0: And so is that an answer, to have a full complement of 200 cadets? Could that help? Um, I, I think it would
2: definitely um, reassure the public that that we have sufficient resources on the street, and they they are a support for the police officers to be able to let them do what they they should be doing. You know, the uh, directing traffic is something that the cadets can do. The um, walking a beat that police officers are normally engaged in is something that the cadets can do. But uh, our complement has decreased in the past four years by over 100 officers. And when you have calls for service continuing to increase, you have to have the um, the resources to meet that that demand. And I know we've heard it over and over again that you can't arrest your way out of this crime problem, but um, I would suggest to you that nothing has changed now that the number of officers has decreased. Things have gotten worse. So, you know, you folks can be the judge on on whether the mayor is going in the right direction
0: with the police service or not. Mo, well, thanks a lot. I really appreciate it. No, I appreciate the time, Hal. So before the news, I played for you some clips from Jeff Currier's show earlier here on CGOB of Chuck Lewis from Expert Electric. And I want to play one more here as we get ready to chat about this with Counselor Kevin Klein, uh, Because Lewis, as you heard before the news... This is an idea that's been around for about four years. And Lewis took it to his counselor, Kevin Klein, in Charleswood, Tuxedo, and Westwood. And it made its way a little further down the line at City Hall, but still nothing. No amber lights in school zones. Once again, Chuck Lewis at Expert Electric. There's no more tests to to do. So I don't know why it's
3: dragging on. I think now it's, really, it's, it's up to the public to start phoning their city councillors and just start pestering their councillors at that level and say, hey, why aren't we accepting like if it? Is going to take some some child to be hurt in a school zone? Is that what it takes before the city of Winnipeg reacts? Like It's just mind-boggling, especially with so much stuff going on in our city that just makes our city look so bad. It's time to really start making our city look good again and, and people pitching in and doing what's right.
0: Kevin Klein, the councillor for Charleswood, Tuxedo, and Westwood, is on the phone now. Kevin, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Hal. Happy New Year. I guess they don't have to pester you because you're in support of this idea.
3: Well, this is, you know, uh, it was a motion that I put forward several months ago, and the fact that it's being delayed once again, I, I'm just at my wit's end. I don't know how an organization this size um, can can operate. The way that it does. This is a resident wanting to help uh, putting lights, uh, amber lights, in, in school zones that we see all across North America. But all of a sudden, because it's not uh, somebody who has the office upstairs idea, it doesn't happen.
0: Yeah, I think just you know, as a taxpayer, it's I think it's a good idea. Here's a, a citizen, a business person trying to make a difference in his community. And instead of taking that, thanking him, and running with it, there are delays. I don't know what the delays are. Do you have any idea? No, I have no idea. Everything here gets
3: delayed. I think we delayed a report that was due in 2018, and we're still delaying it so they can come out. There's no no reason for what's happening. I think it's just the way that politics gets played, or quite frankly, the way politicians are played. Because they don't ask these questions. They don't stick to their guns on this information. And, and this is something so minor, so minor, and makes so much sense that I think it, it, it frightens uh, the current administration. It scares them, because what will happen if this actually works? Now what? How do we defend ourselves? And, th- and that's what it's come down to. And, and, and I believe, Chuck, you know, when Chuck said that it's time for the public to start demanding change— it is time, and not just on the amber lights. Let's think about all of the studies and the millions and millions of dollars we've spent on consultants and the millions and millions of dollars on lawsuits to lose most of them. It's out of hand.
0: Well, I'm going to get to the latest lawsuit in a moment. I'm hearing from listeners, though, lots of them texting and emailing and saying how they don't want the lights because there would be less revenue for the city. There would be fewer tickets. The idea of amber lights in school zones is a great idea. Do you think there might be something to that?
3: Well, if there is, you know, they should come out and say it because if that is the case, people should know that before an election. What are your true intentions? What's your true motive? That's what should come out from this information, not the 30,000 foot, uh, you know what, I don't even have a good word for it, gumbly goop that we get. That's what we get. And that's not right. This is a very easy solution. Test put them in a couple of schools. You're almost at a point where you just want to do it and say, well, I'll ask for forgiveness instead of permission. And that's not where a major city should be. We act like we're a province, we're a city, and it's time that our administration, and all of us, start acting like what we're supposed to be, working for the city, not for our own plans.
0: All right, and let me ask you what we just heard in the news at 2.30. Um, there is a lawsuit, uh, City of Winnipeg lawsuit, involving Phil Shegal, Caspian Construction, not involving former Mayor uh, Sam Cates, on the uh, police headquarters. What's your thought on that?
3: Well, you know, it's a notice of motion. Um, at, this is a notice of motion to see if there is a lawsuit that can be had. Um, I haven't read through the, all the documents that have been provided to us because they just provided it to us. And um, they're going to have a, a council uh, committee, a meeting, I think they call it a seminar, to talk more about it. But here's my problem now. Um, I don't want to cast judgment on this just yet or uh, until I read more information on it. But if we believe there's been some wrongdoing, that checks went where they were not supposed to go and so on, many of the executives that were here at that time are here now. Why haven't we had a, a session with them? Why haven't we put them under the microscope? Did the RCMP investigate them? Or did they investigate the entire finance department? I, I know that, our, you know, we have some people that were very high up at that time, haven't heard a word from them. So, I, I, again, are we doing this to take away from the fact that, you know, we kept pushing and pushing and pushing this? Or if there's legitimacy to this, what is it? And why aren't those executives answering questions?
0: So if there is blame here, make sure it goes around. Listen. If your if your job, if
3: you, you know, if you're in a profession that requires you to have ethics, um, and it requires you know certain that you follow certain standards and report certain uh, misgivings or mis, uh, misuse of uh, power, and you're not, I have a problem with that.
0: All right, Kevin. Thank you. Appreciate your time as always. Thanks a lot. Thanks.